Exodus 32, please. Exodus 32. And um, let me just say again, it is a wonderful thing to be saved. I'm a sinner that deserves everlasting hell. That's what my Bible says. I deserve that. But God in His mercy is allowing me to escape that because His grace has given me a gift of salvation. Amen? It's through faith. You've got to believe it. Jesus said, if you want to be saved, you can be saved. You trust what I did on the cross has paid for your sin debt. And you ask me to save you and I'll save you. That's what the Bible says. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God for it. Maybe today you're unsure of these things. Maybe today you don't know about your salvation. You don't know about heaven. You don't know about eternity. You're just unsure. Maybe perhaps you'd say, I would love if somebody would take the Bible and show me what exactly it says so I know exactly what to do. It's not based off what the preacher says. It's based off of what God said. Amen? Amen? And uh, perhaps at invitation time, when I'm done preaching, I'm going to invite folks to come forward and, and, deal, and get things settled with the Lord. And maybe perhaps this morning, you're unsure and unsettled about this thing of eternity and heaven and hell. And I encourage you, invitation time, you come forward. And, and we'll have pastoral staff up here. We'll have some, some ladies up here. And a man will take a man and a woman will take a woman and show them from the Bible how you can be sure you're on your way to heaven. It's real. It's truth. And praise God, I get the, the wonderful privilege to preach it. Amen? Amen and amen. Let's look at Exodus 32 this morning. What's going on here? Uh, what, what's the background here? What's, what's come to this point? I, I had the uh, ability, the privilege to read, read several chapters in Exodus this week as I was contemplating this message that God had put on my heart and I was thinking through it. I have uh, been going through uh, the Exodus. I just started Leviticus this week uh, in my personal Bible reading. And as I'm going through, and one of, this caught my attention here several, probably last week sometime, caught my attention, this chapter did, and I went back and I reread it again. And I, I have to put the Word of God in my heart regularly, and I have to be reminded of what it says. And I went back and read it, and I was amazed. We think about Moses at Mount Sinai being up there the whole time, and just he's up there a long time, and God gives him all the Word, and then he comes down. But you know, when you read... If you start in Exodus chapter 18 and you read through where we're at right now, you realize the Word of God says that He came, up, He went up and came down several times. Several times. And I forget that and I, I get reminded when I'm in the Word. It's amazing what happens, what you learn when you read the Word of God. Amen? Well, I've heard that story. I know that, that, that story. I know what the Bible says. Yeah, we assume a lot of things. It's amazing what happens when we read it. Amen? And, and all, uh, all of those things. And so uh, I was reading through this and I, I, did, I realized, you know, they got to the mount. Moses went up and he gave them direction. He came down, got the people settled, took care of some things. And then he went up and God said, I'm going to talk to you. I'm gonna, you go down and you tell them, get ready. I'm going to talk to you. And they go back down. And uh, uh, it, it, my understanding is when we get to Exodus chapter 20 and he's giving out the Ten Commandments, Moses is down with the people. And God starts talking, and, the, and the, the mountain is shaking, and he's talking, and they in fear are backing away, but they're hearing the word of God as he's talking. And then Moses goes back up, and God says, now I'm going to write it down on the tables of stone, and I'm going to give it to you so you always have it. 
And it's amazing what you learn when you read through this and you understand what God says, not what we assume He says. Amen? And so, uh, as I was considering these things, this kind of caught my attention. Here in this chapter, of course, is when the Israelites uh, produce, they make with their hands, they fashion a, a golden calf. A, the Bible calls it a molten calf. That word molten means if you were to take metal and melt it and fuse them together. And, uh, and a lot of times what they would do is they'd make an image and then they would overlay it with gold. And, uh, and here they are pouring, uh, they're pouring it out. They're, they're, uh, that's what molten means is they poured out this metal, this liquid that's melted and it fuses together and creates an image. And here we know it to be the golden calf. And uh, it's amazing to think that here's God's people. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's, uh, he's showed His power so mighty with the ten plagues of Egypt, then the parting of the Red Sea. What we forget is He took all the wheels off the chariots while that, while that pillar uh, of fire was separating the children of Israel from Pharaoh's army. And He looked at them through that and it scared them. Remember that? The Bible talks about those things. And um, I'm I just excited about these because I've recently read it again. And you know what God's done? He's done a lot and we can forget about. And uh, it's amazing that he did all those things and now they want to make this golden calf. But I've talked to you about this a few other times and I want to show you in the Word of God uh, where it actually says these things. And uh, a lot of folks, when I was a child, uh, when I was younger, I used to think, well, they made this golden calf, they made this molten calf, and uh, they wanted to believe in a false god and, 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 and follow a false god. And I, as I read the Word of God, I realize that is not true. That is not true. Look in your Bibles here and, and notice uh, what the Bible says here in verse 4 of chapter 32. In verse 4 of Exodus 32, the Bible says, And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel. Well, look at this now. Which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. These be thy gods that brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Okay, they've only been at Mount Sinai here for six, seven weeks. They saw the hand of God. They watched. Moses stood at the Red Sea and said, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And he parted that Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground. That's something you don't forget when you see it right there in front of you. And you, you are, you're saved physically from, from an army that's coming to destroy you. You don't forget those things. And when I was looking at this, trying to understand it, I looked up that word gods in verse 4. It's lowercase g. And, and as I looked that word up, that in the Hebrew, that word is Elohim. Have you heard that? Elohim is the name that is used for God in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? That's the same word, Elohim. And I don't... I, I truly believe that God has preserved His Word on purpose through the King James Version. And I don't believe it's wrong that He put a lowercase g there. I don't think that's wrong at all. Because the word Elohim is a plural word. And the plural, see in Genesis 1, they knew the Trinity. They knew the Trinity of God here. And here it's used as with an S at the end, lowercase gods, but they've made a graven image. They've tried to put God down in this image. You say, well, pastor, I don't know. I'm, not, I'm trying to understand that. Look at verse 5. Watch this now. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it 
And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to whom? To the Lord. To the Lord. That word Lord there, it's a, it's, it's a small caps. And when we see that, we understand if you look at in the Hebrew, that is the word Jehovah. The Lord is Jehovah. And Jehovah is God's name that they knew Him by. And they knew Him. They knew what they were doing. They knew what they were worshiping here. It's amazing here. Now, help me understand this, Pastor. What's going on here? See, when, when God gave out the Ten Commandments, the very first commandment, do you remember which one it is? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Remember that now? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What's number two? Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Did God repeat himself and say, well, one and two got to be the same thing? I don't believe that one instance. He said, I don't want you to serve a false god, and I also don't want you to make a graven image that you might try to put me into. Be careful. Let me just say this again. The Hebrews had to be cautious on this thing. And I'll say in America in 2023, we got to be cautious on this thing. Don't worship an image. Let me give you an example. Look right up here above the baptistry and we see a cross. It is so easy for modern day Christians to worship the cross. You know what the cross is? It was a, a method of death. It was a method of execution. It was horrific. Now, praise God, Jesus hung on the cross for my sin and shed his blood on Calvary. Praise God for that. But I don't worship an image. I worship my Savior. And too often, what do we have, folks? They're, instead of worshiping the Savior, they're worshiping an image. And they take a cross that's hanging around their neck. And if you do that, I don't have that against you. I'm just saying, be careful. So all I'm saying is be careful. They take a cross around their neck or on their, on their uh, uh, wrist here or it's hanging in there and they kiss it and they're waving it all around and like this cross is meaning something. Let me tell you, it's Jesus Christ. My hope is in Jesus. And I kneel at Calvary, kneel at the cross. Christ will meet you there because that is where my redemption happened. But I don't worship an image. How can we take an infinite, almighty un, uh, God that is so big, how can we put him into a, a, a little image? How do we do that? God had created everything that we can ever, we've ever seen and everything we can even think about with the universe and all that. How do we take an infinite God and put him down in a little image? And that's what he was telling his people. Because he knew that mankind would get messed up as soon as we have to look at something Right here, and we can touch it, we can see it, we can feel it. Don't worship an image. That's what he's telling his people. But here we see that the Israelites have gotten to that point. See, Moses has been up in the mount for a little while. If you, if you recall, a few chapters before this, and I believe it's chapter 24... He said, the God says that Moses, he called Moses up on the mountain. He had been up there 40 days and 40 nights. Now that doesn't seem like a long time until you start putting it into weeks. He was up there almost six weeks. Up on top of the mount, meeting with God. And the people started getting a little restless. And they said, we, we got to have something we can see. So why did they make an, why did they make a calf? Well, a calf, a bull, a, a, a cow, an uh, animal like that is a picture of strength. 
And uh, they looked at Jehovah, thinking of his strength and his power, what he had done. And I believe that that's why they made a calf. But you say, was this really that big of a deal? Is it really that big of a thing that, that, uh, that they took God and they made an image for God and worshipped this image in the name of God and had a feast to the Lord? Well, did God say to not do it? Yeah, he told them not to do it. Say, but, but he understands. They needed something they could see. They needed something they could touch. Be careful. Heed my warning as your pastor this morning. As soon as we open the door for a little bit of sin, and we make provision for the flesh, the devil can kick it wide open and dump a whole bunch of stuff into your family and into your life. Amen? And he can destroy you with it. As soon as we give just a little bit of room, a little inch, we give just, a, a, just an inch to the devil, he can take it and he can destroy you. Be careful, be careful, be careful. What's the root issue here? The molten calf, yes, this is, they've made this calf, they're worshiping this calf. We understand that even in their worship they were wrong and, and all of that. And, and, and Moses and jo, uh, I believe it was Joshua, and they said, sounds like war in the camp. And, and it, all of that, right? And they, their worship, their music changed, all that stuff changed. But here's the, here's the thing, what's the root? How did they get to this point? All right, stay right here with me now. Stay right here with me. It's okay, all this stuff going on, it's fine. Listen, stay right here. What is the root problem? What's the cause? Notice verse 1. That's where it all started. Look at verse 1. The Bible says here in verse 1 of chapter 32, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount... That's when they got together. That's when they went to Aaron. That's when they said, hey, make unto us a golden calf. Hey, make a molten calf on us. Let's read the whole verse. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not what is become of him. The word what is to know. And the, the specifically to know is to know by seeing. Said we haven't seen him in a while. We don't know what's come of him because we haven't seen him. And their faith was weak and they needed something they could see. They thought they needed something they could see. And, and God had already given them his law. He had given them the Ten Commandments. They heard him speak it. They watched in Exodus 19, they watch God descend down upon the mount. Read it. I challenge you to read it. They watch God descend down on the mount in fire. And the mount shook and a trumpet sounded as in proclamation that God had come down to meet with them. And the Bible says that the smoke was descending off of the, of the mount, a thick, dark cloud. And God was in that thing. And he invited Moses to come up and meet with him. The people knew it was God. They saw it was God and, uh, and all of that. Now, what's the problem? Moses has been up there meeting with them for the last six weeks. And they got impatient. See that? They said, Moses is delayed. <coughs> delayed? What are we talking about? Mrs. Roach, what are we talking about? We're talking about... 
Moses is meeting with God, is he not? He's meeting with God. So what are we saying? What are they saying? They're saying, God, we're tired of waiting on you. You with me? God, we're tired of waiting on you. My timing, it se- my timing says that we've been here long enough and it's time to get moving. When God's timing seems wrong. You ever been there? When God's timing seems wrong. Known young people that struggle with this thing. God's timing seems wrong. But, but, I'm ready. Come on. And God hasn't opened the door yet. Seen young married couples. Lord. How do you say it any better than that? You been there? Seen folks in that what we call middle age or, or coming through. You, you've you've already had your children. You've you're starting. You've raised them. Maybe you're sending them off to college. And there's something that got so, gets to a point, And maybe you're working with your children. And you're. When God's timing seems wrong. How about losing a spouse? That's difficult, isn't it? Lord, I don't understand. Why did you why are you letting this happen? Why are you leaving me here? When God's timing seems wrong. As your shepherd this morning, can I just say this? Be careful. Be careful. None of us are absent of this. None of, we, we all have our time frame. We have in our minds what is right and what we've worked into this and what seems like this would be best and, and what timing this needs to carry out and why this and why this. And God's timing seems a little bit different than ours. God, why are you making me wait? Or, or sometimes... Listen, I know there's distractions in here. Let's just call it out right now. We've got things. The devil's trying to distract us. Okay, let's bring it in. Let's bring it in. Come on, right now. Let's, let's bring it in. Because folks are... Consider this when God's timing seems wrong. This is real. This is practical. And I need this. Because God opens doors. But so does the devil. Be careful. Be careful. Consider some things here that we, we know in Scripture when God's timing seems wrong. Consider, if you would, Abraham for a moment. God called Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, to go to the promised land. Didn't he? He said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I want you to come out of your daddy's place, your daddy's house, and your lineage, and I want you to come to a land that you don't know. And he says, I want you to come out here. And, uh, and, and Abraham does that, Genesis chapter 12. In the same chapter... God allows a great famine to come along the land of Canaan, doesn't he? Lord, you, you brought me here and now you're going to let me starve? What did he do? He left the land and went to Egypt, didn't he? He left the land and went to Egypt. 
Can I just tell you this? When, when God's timing seems wrong and we start going our own way in our own time, great sin usually follows. I'll say it this way, greater sin. Greater sin usually follows. Because us questioning God and His timing always allows us to act in our flesh and greater sin comes out of that. You know that's the truth. You've seen it in your life. You're watching it in other people's. And I'm telling you, let's acknowledge it today. When we leave God out of this thing and we chase our flesh and we say, no, God's wrong here. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go my way. Greater sin usually follows. What happened when Abraham went to Egypt? His dear wife got taken into Pharaoh's home, didn't she? If you don't think that's a bad situation for a marriage, you think again. And why? Because he questioned God and where God had put him, and he went to the world. Egypt is always a picture of the world for God's people like that. He left the land where God put him and went to the world to to get sustenance, to get food. And yet, what happened? His wife got taken into Pharaoh's home. You know what else happened? Later, when he questioned God again on his timing, you remember the second time that God got questioned on his timing in Abraham's house? was when God said, I'm going to give you a, a son in your old age. And I'm going to give you that son by your wife Sarah in her old age. Remember? And they, Sarah laughed at that a little bit. She says, I'm past the age of bearing children. Remember that? What did they do? Sarah presented to Abraham Hagar. Do you remember what the Bible says about Hagar? It says she was her Egyptian maid, handmaid. Where do you get an Egyptian handmaid from? Egypt. And so Abraham questioned God and had to leave the promised land. Well, he supposedly had to leave, went down to Egypt, and he picked up Hagar, whom later would become a great, great stumbling block, a great sin in his house. With Hagar came Ishmael and a whole other nation. God said, I'm going to make of thee a great nation. And through that, God was faithful to his word. But Ishmael created a whole other group of people that would oppose Israel for all time until the day of judgment. It's where all the Arab nations and all that came from. It's from Ishmael. They call Abraham their father just like the Jews do. Just like Israel does. Came through Ishmael. What happens when we act and God says, wait? What about when we wait when God says to act? No, Lord, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for that. Remember when Israel came up on the promised land? God says, I want you to cross the Jordan. I want you to take it. Yeah, there's giants in there, but you can have victory. I've already given you so much victory. Trust me, go in there and take it. And they said, oh, no, no, we're like grasshoppers in in their sight. We're just little people. They're big giants. We can't do this thing. What happened? They doubted God. They turned around and they wandered for 40 years. You know what happened in those 40 years? All the adults died. They all died off. God said, I'll raise up the next generation and take them in. They all died in the wilderness. And you know what else happened in that time period? Korah. 
Korah was, was a man and a group of people that said, well, we ought to be just like Moses and, and we can call on God and we can do these priestly duties. And he went in and God, you know what God had to do? He opened up the earth and swallow them up. Because there was sin questioning the authority that God had put out there. Where did that come from? How about, the, how about the group that had already questioned God on his timing and where he was taking them? Greater sin always follows when we try to do it our way in our flesh. Be careful, be careful, be careful. Whether we act when God says wait, or whether we wait when God says act. Secondly, not only does greater sin usually follow, but shame and sorrow will follow it. Shame and sorrow will follow it. Of course, when Abraham took Hagar by Sarah's request, and Ishmael was born, that was not a happy home, was it? There was a lot of squabbling going on. There was a lot of issues going on. Hagar and Sarah quit getting along. Do what? One was despised in the other's eyes, weren't they? And it came to a point where Abraham had to make the choice to send Hagar away with a son whom he loved. Ishmael. Can you imagine the heartbreak of that day? When this great turmoil and war is going on in the house and he had to send them away to, to bring peace. Can you imagine that day? And, and, and he's, he's just weeping over the fact that he's got to let them go. But it had to happen for his home's sake. And God told him to make it happen. Can you imagine that? Great turmoil, turmoil in his home. Great shame, great sorrow. How about, how about David and Bathsheba? You know what, I, I started comprehending, I started thinking through this a little bit, Brother Martini. Did, did God use Solomon? Didn't he? Didn't Solomon uh, write, uh, uh, use to pen much of the Word of God? Well, a few books anyway, right? God used him. Wasn't he the wisest man ever to live? Didn't he build the temple for God who would bring God much glory, the people turning back to him? Where did Solomon come from? David and Bathsheba. So I question, I wonder, did, was it God's plan? Was it God's plan to eventually give Bathsheba to David? I don't know. But I, I think these things. I question it. If God was going, to, if God was going to, to use Solomon like this, was, was Uriah going to eventually die anyway and then Bathsheba would come... David would take Bathsheba. I don't know those things. I can't tell you. The Word of God doesn't say that. But what I do know is that David, instead of being at war when he was supposed to be, was at home fooling around, looking down off of his palace and, and saw Bathsheba and took her when, it, when she didn't belong to him. And instead of doing what God has told him to do and his timing, he's like, I need a vacation. And then, he, and then the, the door was open for great sin to follow and he took Bathsheba and caused much shame and much sorrow in his home. Consider that. Bible said, to, uh, God said to David, the sword will never leave your house. Look at every one of David's children. There was great, great problems in his home and in his family for the rest of his days. Because of his choice. Let's just park on that just for a moment. If you think that your choice doesn't affect other people, think again. Mom and dad, whatever you decide to do affects your children. 
and it affects their children's children, their children, anyways, amen, generations. What? Nobody's looking at me. If you're a part of this church, the decisions that you make affect all of us. What? <gasps> of course, a decision I make affects us all. Because you're, you're looking at me right now. But what about the person that's sitting down in the pew and you're, you're trying to duck behind somebody's head? What? My decision affects... Yes, because you're a part of this church. We're family, the Bible says. We're family. That means every decision that one of these men on the platform makes affects all of us. And I don't... I, Listen here, I'm Brother Timmerman. Appreciate appreciate him uh, being a part of our church. Uh, new church member here recently, and praise God for it. And I can call him out right now because he's man enough to take it. Every decision that Brother Timmerman makes affects this whole congregation. Why? Because he's a testimony to the Lord and of Shenandoah. Let us be reminded of that. Many of you know my testimony and my wife and the decision that we had to make to come down here. If we had delayed when God said to act, how that would have affected and changed everything for my family. Think about my children are being raised in a whole different place than they were before. It would have affected my family for generations. Yes? Yeah, because my children wouldn't be sitting under Brother Martini and Brother Gaylor and brother other folks that are teaching in junior church. My, my, my daughter wouldn't be under with Miss Pennell in class being affected by her and being challenged by her as she's growing, right? Everything would have been changed. Be careful when we question God's timing and what God's telling us to do. Be careful. Because when we start questioning, greater sin usually follows and so does shame and sorrow. Be careful. Be careful. Consider David and Saul. And then we'll, we'll start closing up. Consider David and Saul. David was anointed as the next king of Israel, wasn't he? God had told him, I believe it's 1 Samuel 16, if I'm not mistaken. It might have been, 15, I believe it was 16. God anointed him as the next king of Israel. He said, you're going to be the next one. God had removed his spirit from Saul and, and had anointed David, still a young man. And David, for the next many, many years, knew that and had to wait on God's timing. Twice he had the opportunity to kill King Saul. Twice. And what did he say? Rightfully so, he said, I will not put my hand on the Lord's anointed. I will not do this thing. Yes, God has told me I'll be the next king, but this is not God's timing. This is not God's timing. Again, you know my testimony. God had put a, put a pastor's heart in my heart for, for a while. I knew that God wanted me to be a senior pastor. I knew that. But yet, for whatever reason, he put me under Tom Harrison for the last 14 years. And was I without sin? No, because I... You know how it is. You think you know everything, right? <laughs> Brother Pennell, amen. You think you know everything, right? And God had to humble me before allowing me to be a senior pastor. He had to humble me. Because I had some things to learn, and I had to learn especially 
Here it is. You, if you know me, you know this. I had to learn especially to keep my mouth shut. Because God has given me vision and direction to you. I knew what he was going to do. I knew God was doing some things and I had to. Sometimes I'd have ideas and I'd bring it to the preacher and he'd say, yeah, that's awesome. And then other times he'd say, nope. <laughs> and I'd be like, but this is going to be so cool. It's going to be great. This is going to work out awesome. Just do it this way. And he'd be like, nope. And God had to teach me to do this. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Remember that. Remember that. Remember that. There's too many men preaching behind pulpits this morning that are so full of pride and full of sin in their life. And they're, they're, they're doing all kinds of stuff and leading people astray because they're in their flesh. Because they're filled with pride. Be cautious and be careful. Let me just, the Lord's pulling us out right now. Let me just handle this for a second. You know there's a revival going on in the country. At this university or whatever, and they've got this revival thing going on. I'm sure you've heard about it. And there are men criticizing that openly and preaching against that and all that. Listen, I don't understand what's going on because I'm not there. I don't understand what's going on. Okay? I know that they're not like us. I know that either they probably don't use the same Bible. They probably uh, don't have everything just right. I know all of that. But what happens is is that we get preachers that are so full of pride and start criticizing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and start tearing down people. Do you understand that the name of Jesus Christ is being exalted? Praise God for that. What business do I have criticizing and throwing water on fire that I have no idea what's, what is going on? I've never been there. I don't know anything about what they're doing. Maybe I should, like Jesus told his disciples, to leave those people be and get active right here doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know what, what, I see, what I'm seeing out of people that are real critical in that business is they're so full of pride and they're upset that God's not doing it right where they're at. And you know why God's not giving revival right where they're at? Because of the sin in their heart that they haven't confessed. God's not going to do all that. How about we get our nose out of everybody else's business and we beg God to give us revival here? Amen? Let's stop looking at everybody else and let's just say, God, I'm a sinner. I need revival. Cleanse me. Teach me and help me to be used for your glory. Spirit of God, show up right here and use us. Shenandoah Bible Baptist Church. Amen? Amen. And teach us and help us to be humble before you. Not full of pride, but humble. Amen? When God's timing seems wrong, again, just a... Just a a word of advice, a, 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 some a warning from your shepherd today. Be careful, be careful, be careful. Truly, maybe you've heard the song, and, and uh, I know choirs that I've worked with in the past have sung this song. God's way is the best way. 
When I don't under, I got it wrong. I wrote actually wrote it down. Though I cannot understand what lies ahead, I know He's in control and He's watching o'er my soul. For God's way is the best way. It's the only way for me. Turn in your Bibles, would you, real quick as I close here. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes is in the middle of the Bible there. If you hit Psalms, uh, Ecclesiastes, uh, excuse me, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. If you hit Isaiah, back up a couple. And uh, Ecclesiastes is a book of Solomon here that God used him. And uh, we studied through Ecclesiastes on Wednesday nights here last year. And look at chapter 3, if you would. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. This passage of Scripture is so phenomenal because God is teaching us balance. He's teaching us balance. If you look at it, it says in verse 1, just as Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, it says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. He's teaching us balance. God says there is a time for this and there's a time for that. What we need to do is discern what that timing is under God's leadership. Amen? Look down in verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Amen? Can I talk to you about something here that might be a little humorous to you? But I have four children. You know how it is, moms and dads. You have your plan, you have your way, you have your thought process. Marie and I thought we were only going to have three. (laughs) Amen? We thought Tucker was going to be the baby. And here a few years later, out comes Marshall. Praise God for it. God's way, God's timing, God's plan. I couldn't imagine life without my Marshall. You understand what I'm saying? God's way is the best way. And His timing is perfect. It took us a little while to have children. God didn't give us children immediately. We were married for several years before Adeline came along. Couldn't imagine life without my Addie Bell. Because God's timing was perfect. God's timing was perfect. Look at chapter 8 real quick. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Of course, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. But look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8 here. Look at verse 5, please. Ecclesiastes 8, 5. The Bible says, Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. And a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Because to every purpose there is time and judgment. Therefore the misery of man is great upon him. For he knoweth not that which shall be. For who can tell him when it shall be? You know what Solomon's saying there? You know what God's leading him to say? He's saying that man doesn't know what's coming. We can't see the end of the road. 
We don't know the end of everything. But what we do know is that we serve a God who does. So what do we do, preacher? What do we do, pastor? If I'm supposed to wait, how do I know when to make the move? If I'm supposed to move and not wait, how do I know to do that? What is the result of this? Yes, God's timing is best. Yes, we need to talk about these things. Yes, we need to consider this thought this morning. But what do I do about it? That's where faith, which God has challenged us with much of this year already. That's where even this last Wednesday night, our missionary, praise God, preached that message of faith out of Hebrews chapter 11. If you missed it, I'm sorry you missed it. It was a great message. I needed it. Wednesday night. We're to walk by faith. Listen here. God never... I closed my Bible. You see that? I just wanted you to see that. Okay. Uh, hopefully that's hope to you. I know Brother Pennell, I don't know if that gives hope to your people or not, but I closed my Bible. Listen here. God never contradicts His Word. Let me say that again. God never contradicts His Word. Bible says it is pure. It is the truth. God's not going to lead you to do something that is opposing this word right here. I hear people say, well, God's leading me to, to, to do this thing on Sunday night. What? We got church on Sunday night. What? God says, be in the house of God when the doors are open. Hebrews 11, uh, 10, 25. He says, be there. Don't forsake it. How is God leading you to do this thing? I don't understand that. That's contrary to His Word. God doesn't contradict His Word. We have the Word of God that teaches us. And then He tells us, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. When I need a little counsel, I can go to one of these men on the platform. When I need a little bit of counsel, I can go to any one of our deacons. When I need a little counsel, I can call up some men that have been influential in my life. And sometimes, uh, even, I'm telling you, you know it if it's happened here. I've called men in this church and asking counsel. Why? Because we're co-laborers together before Jesus Christ. And God said, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. He doesn't contradict His Word, and He tells us to seek counsel. Godly counsel. So what's the direction today? Where do we go with this? What do we do about God's timing? How do, we, how do we fix this? Walk by faith. I have a decision to make in my life. Let me go seek some counsel. Let me go see what Brother Martini thinks about it. Let me call Pastor Bain and ask what he thinks about it. Let me call a, a, a Brother Stanley or, or a Brother Shank and see what they think about it. I've got this decision to make in my life. Let me see what counsel God would give them as I seek that counsel. And then as I'm understanding what seems right, let me double check it in the Word of God and say, does it contradict this book? So if it lines up with the Word of God, and I've got godly men that are watching over me that have counseled me in this area, then that, what it means is I walk in faith and I say, you know what? 
This is the way that seems best by the Word of God and by my counselors. And I'm going to go this direction and I'm going to start the process. And as I do that, God, steer my car, steer, steer me as I'm going. And shut a door if this is not right for me. That's walking in faith, is it not? God's timing, how do we figure it out? We seek counsel and we make sure it lines up with the Word of God. And as we do that, God will direct us as we walk in faith. Many, many people come to me often and, and say, this situation's going on, Pastor. What do I do about this? This situation in my life is going on. What do I do about this? And I say, well, let's, let's check it. Is there anything in the Word of God that says that this would be wrong? Okay, so we're good. This is good. We're fine, right? Well, what, how does this make sense for you? How does this make sense for your family? Let's talk about this. And we, we counsel together. I said, it sounds like this is a right move for you. So here's what we're going to do. Start the process. Start the process, and I'm going to pray, and you pray, that God closes the door if it's not right. I'm going to pray, and you pray, that God closes the door if it's not right. You with me? That's walking by faith. That's how we know. That's how we know. Sometimes a door opens, and it's not of God. You know what? When I finally decided and I finally gave up what I thought, uh, what, my direction, where I was going, and God was leading me to go to Bible college and ch- change my life and give Him my all, you know what happened right after I made that decision? I had all kinds of doors opening up. Don't think I'm joking either. I mean, I had financial opportunities that were opening up all over the place because the devil was trying to distract me from doing what God wanted me to do. Well, how do I know? Maybe this ain't right. Oh. Seek counsel and challenge it in the Word of God. Does it line up in both those areas? Let's bow together. Lord, so much of this applies to so many of us every single day. God, we have decisions to make. How do I know what God's timing is? How do I know what's right in my life? Is this the time frame? Is this what it is? God, so many people in this room have been hurt and and have damaged their lives and their families because of, of acting in the flesh and going against God's will and God's timing. And I pray, God, did you forgive us of our sin on that level, Lord, on that on it corporately today as a church? You forgive us our sin as individuals today, Lord, when we've gone the way of flesh, we've gone our own time and our own timing. And God, we've gone against the what the Word of God has taught us, and we've gone even against counsel. God, forgive us of those things. Help us to be yielded to the Spirit of God this morning. Please help us. Lord, perhaps in this room, I, I mentioned it before, maybe there's somebody in here who needs to get saved. God, today is a day of salvation. Your Bible says that. The Word of God says that if we're not saved, today is the day you're promised you can get saved. Right now. God, thank you for your Word. Thank you for dying on the cross and saving me with your shed blood that it redeemed me from my sin. That blood shed paid the price. There was a remission of sin because of that bloodshed. God, I pray now that somebody in here is struggling with this thing. They don't know about heaven. They don't know about eternity. And they're going back and forth. And they don't know. They haven't got it settled. And Lord, I pray that this invitation time, they would get it settled once and for all right now. And they would respond. Because God, is, you are speaking and you're working, Lord. I know, Spirit of God, you're doing it right now. And you're pricking hearts and you're challenging us to make decisions in our life 
to, to be faithful, to follow you. And some people right now, Lord, are being challenged to come forward and get saved. And I pray you give us the courage to do what is necessary and what is right before a holy God. Help us now, please. Church, I'm going to ask you to stand a bit together, please. You said somebody said.